Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Package Tourist, hosted by yours truly, The Package Tourist and the magical mystery tour called Life, Matthew DiBiaz. Tonight's guest is author Stephen Farnsworth. Stephen is a professor of political science and international affairs, as well as being the director of the Center for Leadership and Media Studies at the University of Mary Washington in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Since 2002, Stephen has published seven well-respected scholarly works on the presidency, mass media, and public opinion, and has appeared on C-SPAN as well. Tonight, we'll be discussing his latest book, Late Night with Trump, Political Humor, and the American Presidency, which he co-wrote with Robert Lichter, which was released in December 2019. Stephen, welcome to the show. What led you to collaborate with Robert Lichter for this book? Well, Bob Lichter and I have been very interested in media and politics for years, and so we've worked particularly in terms of content analysis of television coverage of campaigns and um, now we've been looking in the last uh, this last project on political humor it's clear i think particularly when you're around 20 somethings that a lot of people are looking to political humor as one of the places to get their information and so it's become an important part of discourse it may not be comparable to the news but it's certainly worth more attention than it used to be Please tell our audience the types of research you and Robert Lichter conducted in order to produce this book. Well, what we did was we looked at the number of jokes told about presidential candidates during their campaigns and then during the presidencies that followed for those who won the election. So we looked at the, 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 the leading four night a week or more shows in terms of the number of programs they have in a week. That would be um, Jimmy Fallon and Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Kimmel and uh, Trevor Noah's Daily Show. And then we also looked at, um, at once a week shows, the traditional Saturday Night Live, of course, where political humor has been a key part of what they've been up to since the 1970s, but also uh, Samantha Bee and John Oliver. Those are both Daily Show alums who developed their own once a week shows on cable and uh, and so what we tried to do is come up with as comprehensive a way as possible in the time that we had and the resources that we had to figure out what is being said about presidential candidates uh, we didn't just look at the 2016 election and now we're looking at the 2020 election we also have um, studies that go back to look at previous presidential elections as well like the days of Barack Obama and Bill Clinton and George W Bush now, the two of you state in your book that Donald Trump redefined presidential humor in many ways. Can you please tell our listeners, how exactly did Trump alter the landscape of American presidential humor? Well, I think one of the things to appreciate about Donald Trump and the political uh, comedians is that he provided so much material. It's much harder to, to make fun of someone, if you will, who is sort of in on the joke. You know, if you think back to Ronald Reagan, for example, when he was when he was president, he was giving a speech and uh, and he dropped all the papers and he slipped them all back together again and, and just made a joke. He said, uh, it doesn't really matter what order they're in. Um, I'm just reading what's on the page or something like that. And, you know, people found that funny. It was a self-deprecating humor that really is a, kind of an endearing thing. Um, if you think about uh, Barack Obama. He was on a, a show called Between Two Ferns with Zach Galifianakis, where he was um, basically uh, making fun of, of Zach Galifianakis in his movie career on the way to, 
talking about how young people should engage in um, getting the um, signing up for the Affordable Care Act, getting health care. Donald Trump is exactly the opposite for people like that because Donald Trump really had a very thin skin when it came to any kind of political humor. And so he was a very appealing target for late night comedy. Uh, Stephen Colbert once said that, that what's funny is the difference between what reality is and what someone says reality is. And Donald Trump, who um, had a, uh, a tendency to exaggerate and say falsehoods, the Washington Post did studies that found tens of thousands of false statements by Trump, uh, created a great opportunity for him to, uh, to, uh, to be the subject of late night humor. And then, of course, when he goes after individual hosts, he really didn't like uh, the uh, portrayal, the imitation of him uh, on Saturday Night Live in particular. Um, and that created a very uh, powerful uh, incentive for people to watch because the more that Trump talked about late night humor, the more people were drawn to it. And so his criticism of Colbert and Fallon and, and, uh, and Alec Baldwin just brought more people to late night comedy. And so it made for a compelling uh, environment for both of them, the comics and the president. Do you think, do you and Robert think that Trump was the most thin skinned president in American history, in your opinion? It's hard to say the most ever. I mean, the, the media environment is so different in different mm. times. You know, you sometimes wonder how some of these presidents of the past would have put up with the the wall-to-wall -wall attention that American presidents get today mm. and the really harsh nature of our political discourse. I mean, if you think about critical coverage during the Reagan years, for example, yeah. something that someone would say on Saturday Night Live or something that, that someone would would say in a television or news story about the presidency, it is so much tamer compared to what presidents today face. And so I think that certainly uh, Donald Trump would be in the middle round, if you will, of thin-skinned presidents. Um, and, the, you know, that um, is, is one of the sort of mysteries, I think, of the Trump presidency. Mm. Uh, he didn't seem to enjoy being president. He enjoyed winning, sure, but once he was president, he didn't particularly seem to, to enjoy it. And he certainly couldn't accept the heat that comes with that job. You know, you know that famously uh, said by Harry Truman that if you can't stand the heat, then uh, maybe you shouldn't be president. Yeah. And, um, and so I don't know that, um, that, that, uh, that created an environment where he could kind of roll with the punches the way that, uh, that some others did. Um, Bill Clinton was another one who reacted really badly to criticism. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, but the combativeness of, of the media and political environment of the 1990s was still tamer than what Donald Trump faced. So I'm thinking, you know, those two would be pretty high on the thin skin scale. What was the most significant discovery you and Robert made when you were doing the research for this book? What was your most significant discovery? Well, I, you know, one of the things that we knew going in is that there is a dynamic in which um, conservative uh, late night comedy is not very successful. Mm. Um, they've tried various shows over the years on Fox News. And of course, they have a big audience leading into the 11 o'clock hour. But th those shows have often struggled. And, you know, we've had to sort of work through why is it that, that these comedy shows tend to be much more critical of Republican candidates and Republican presidents than Democratic ones. And I think that one of the things that we're seeing as we look at 
you know, across 20 plus years of political humor for a variety of candidates and presidents is that, you know, there is an iconoclastic dimension to political humor and conservatives may be more inclined to respect authority and tradition than liberals are. And so the, the playful skewering of authority, I think, fits more into the liberal wheelhouse than the conservative wheelhouse. At the same time, though, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't think that uh, there's anything but an obvious remark to make on the other side, and that is that conservative talk radio is so much more successful than liberal talk radio. I think that you know the conservative message is the sort of you know, orientation towards generating higher levels of, of anger in particular, that kind of uh, identification and, uh, and presentation of grievance. Those are things that conservatives do much better than liberals. And so in the same way that late night comedy seems to be an audience that draws more liberal content and more liberal audiences, uh, talk radio is a more conservative place. And I think that has to do with the nature of people and their orientations to, uh, to left and right. Were you or Robert Lichter able to interview any of the late night hosts featured in this book about how they interpreted Donald Trump? Did you ever get access to them, you know, able to talk to them or anything of that nature? Well, what we tried to do was a, was a scientific study, not kind of, the, the, you know, an interview project. And so mm. we were looking really at what they had to say and how different they were, um, these individual shows. And so we have data in the book that talks about how, say, uh, Stephen Colbert was more critical of Donald Trump than Jimmy Fallon was. That there was a lot of conversation in the uh, 2016 campaign about uh, issues with respect to Donald Trump as who he was as a person, you know, and how that may have varied from one place to another. Um, you have, I think, um, you know, a different kind of uh, approach when you do these kinds of, of books. Uh, we didn't, we didn't really try to talk to the to the host and. Uh, we haven't heard from any of the um, of the producers or anything since the book has come out. So it, it seems to me that uh, that that might be an interesting thing for a journalist to do. But we were really much more focused on what the programs themselves actually offered rather than the, the planning and the structure that came be, beforehand. Now, you released the book uh, just before, you know, the pre you know uh, in December of 2019, before the election. Looking back at it now, what happened last year during the election campaign, do you think those late-night hosts' portrayal of Trump was a uh, – what? how much of a contributory factor to his electoral defeat? I mean, how much do you think it might have contributed to his defeat, in your opinion? Well, you know, I don't know that there are a lot of – people who are undecided in American politics right now. Mm. It seems to me that pretty much everyone is on one team or the other. And maybe there's a sliver of voters in the middle um, who could be persuaded, genuinely persuaded to vote one way or the other. I think most people who call themselves independents are really independents who mainly vote Republican or independents who mainly vote Democratic. And so they're not really independents at all. Mm. The truly unparty, that's a tiny, tiny fraction of the American electorate. Um, and, you know, I don't know that, that those are the people who are paying that much attention to politics or to late night comedy anyway. So I don't really think that Trump lost the election because of late night comedy. It's clear the late night comics didn't do anything to help him, but many of the people watching those shows were already not going to vote for Trump, I think. Okay. Um, I think that, you know, I think that, you know, if you were to say what explains Trump's loss, you have to talk about the response to COVID 
the financial and healthcare consequences of that devastating uh, matter of 2020, that did more, I think, to uh, to harm Trump's chances than anything uh, that Colbert or Jimmy Fallon had to say. Okay. Before Donald Trump came along, was there any other president who, in your, you and Robert's uh, uh, you know, scholarly opinion, uh, let me put it this way, you know, altered the landscape of American presidential humor like Trump was uh, did with his presidency? But I mean, anyone comes to mind? Well, I really think that uh, the two two people stand above all the others in terms of presidential candidates and presidents, and the other one is Bill Clinton. Um, during the 1990s, people were very squeamish about talking about some of the, uh, well, let's say adult-oriented matters that involved the Clinton presidency and the Clinton campaign. And those issues, I think, you know, started to, with a kind of a squeamishness, but by the time we were done with the eight years of the Clinton presidency, America was really an extra, well, an R-rated conversation about the White House, <laughs> what went on there. And so, you know, that was a, a gold mine for late night comics, the, uh, the, the myths of the Clinton years, not unlike the, uh, the, the humor that it was offered by the kind of blustery uh, Trump uh, presidency that followed uh, in the years uh, after uh, Clinton. During the past four years, what I always found personally striking is that whenever someone would, you know, level a criticism of Trump, you would get, you know, from some from some of his followers, you would have got this uh, what I would call a vigilantic response. Since the release of your book, have you or Robert encountered any type of personal hostile pushback, you know, a hostile pushback from Trump partisans, anything of that nature? Well, in, in a way, I think that uh, that Trump supporters could look at our book and see that uh, that we've done a very good job of cataloging how badly Trump was treated by late night comedy. Mm. Um, you know, we go where the evidence takes us, and you know, it isn't that our book is an attack on Trump. Our book is a description of the attack on Trump that you saw on late night comedy. And for people who appreciate the distinction, you know, it seems to me that there would be some conservative interest in this because it confirms i think a lot of things conservatives would believe about late night comedy that they don't get a fair shake uh, at 11 30 p.m mm. and so you know but that being said obviously anybody who writes anything is going to get the occasional nasty email or nasty tweet uh, that's that's life in our time in our place um who knows perhaps uh, you know uh, in response to your show you've occasionally got your share of negative attention. Okay. Stephen, please tell us about little, please tell our listeners a little about yourself. Where were you born and raised? Well, I grew up in Vermont um, and I was always very interested in um, the media. And I guess in part because it, you know, it was a small farming town and the world seemed very big beyond uh, that, uh, that community. I, um, I, I went to, uh, to Dartmouth for college and went to work uh, on the student newspaper and then um, had an opportunity to be a journalist for a while. I worked for about 10 years covering daily news, mostly with the Kansas City Star and Times in Kansas City, Missouri. And then I came to Washington and uh, went to graduate school, got my PhD at Georgetown, and uh, then went on to teach at Mary Washington. Um, I've had a couple of Fulbrights in my career. I was I had a year at McGill University in Montreal, and I had a summer at uh, Methodist College Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. And basically, I've been teaching um, 
media and politics, teaching uh, studies of the presidency and elections in uh, in the 20 years that I've been doing uh, the kind of work I'm doing right now in the classroom. Stephen, whenever I interview an author, I always ask this standard question. When you were growing up, who were your favorite authors that, that you loved to read when you were you know growing up? And did any of those favorite authors kind of inspire you to become an author in your own right, or perhaps even influence your own writing style? Well, you know, the irony when I was a kid was that I was very, very interested in fiction. Mm. And so I read a lot uh, of fiction. I really liked Moliere, mm. uh, and I really liked um, the uh, the work of, uh, of uh, well, Tolstoy was Anna Karenina was probably the most significant work that I read in high school in terms of how it shaped me. Um, I started out in college as a lit major, and so freshman year in college, I was delving into to, to Homer and uh, all kinds of all kinds of works. But but in the end, I found that the world of social science so much more interesting. But I hadn't read that much social science really growing up. It wasn't it wasn't nearly as important to me as a kid. Um, the the literature, uh, the fiction world, but um, but no doubt about it, I learned from from a variety of writers how important it is to think about how to say things effectively. Um, I really like um, reading and writing ever since I was a kid, and uh, and so it's it's uh, something that I've I've made a, a key part of my career as a scholar to uh, to write. Um, the uh, I'm working on another book, in fact, on misinformation. I'm very interested in the the kind of the orientation that. Uh, that we have today towards the struggle over what's actually true and what's not and how journalists can make that work a little bit better. So I'm, you know, I'm still at it. Now your words deal with how presidents interact with the media. In your opinion, in your, in your opinion, who do you think was the most media savvy president in American history? Do you have a candidate in mind? Well, you know, I think that, um, that you know, different presidents in different times had very different media environments. You know, I've got to wonder what Lincoln would have been like in tele with in tele with television. Mm. You know, he, he was somebody who was very very effective in terms of shaping the narrative about who he was and what he did. Um, but he did it, of course, in an era when the only conversation was a print conversation, mm. uh, and that you know he did very very well. Um, if you think about um, about FDR. Uh, who was president in you know in the midst of the depression and World War II? You know, here's somebody else who was really an extraordinarily effective media figure. How would he have handled uh, uh, television? How would he have used Twitter? Um, you know, we have no idea. And so, but but those two, I think, are great examples of presidents who were very very effective at the use of media. I mean, some of the others too. I mean, we can think about. George Washington and the narrative about who he was and how effective he was at presenting himself. Um, certainly Thomas Jefferson might have been the best writer of all the presidents in terms of how articulate and thoughtful he was um, and the way that he um, shaped the news of the day through uh, friendly editors. So there was a lot uh, of uh, presidents we could look back on time and wonder what they would be like in today's media environment. I think that, I, I think that ultimately um, in uh, in our lifetimes, you know, then we're talking about presidents like you know John F. Kennedy and Ronald Reagan were really really effective at at using the media to tell the story.
story that they wanted to tell. I think both of them understood that self-deprecating humor was a very effective way to endear yourself to the country. That's something that works, I think, very effectively, no matter what the media is. And I also think that both of them understood that a lot of Americans uh, are not going to be caught up in all the dynamics of uh, the ins and outs of public policy. Rather, they want a large sort of thematic story that you're telling about what you want to do in your time as president. And I think that, that Kennedy and Reagan both were very, very effective when it came to, to that skill in terms of just communicating with the public, here's my vision for where we want to go. You know, the shining city on a hill, the race to the moon, the winning of the Cold War. You know, these are stories that people can understand even if they don't really appreciate uh, the complexities of whether we should have more aircraft carriers or more bombers or more nuclear weapons or whatever. Um, I think those would be some of the, the key presidents to look at. But most every president today is good at media in one way or another. Otherwise, they wouldn't be president. You can't run for office without having some skill and being able to reach people effectively in one way or another. And so, uh, so I don't know that we see too many media failures these days among presidents. But certainly, um, they would have to struggle to keep up with the, uh, the legacy of some of the key presidents who are media savvy who came before them. Uh, Stephen, uh, your book, Late Night with Trump, is that available in stores? Uh, yeah, you can, you can get it um, online through you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble and all that. It's, it's um, readily available. And your other books, are they too available in stores or, can you get the, or do you get them online? Well, I, you know, you can get them directly from the publisher and you can get them from stores. I mean, I can't guarantee a person if they go to their local store, they're going to find it there, but they can order it through, uh, through the, uh, the online environment. Um, the, um, you know, another one of my books that came out pretty recently, uh, Presidential Character uh, and Communication, and that looks at from Clinton and Cable to Twitter and Trump. And that's another one that uh, that's come out in the last few years that would be also looking at that looks more, I think, at, at the story of not being told about the president, but being told by the president, the presidents in terms of how they try to present the country with their own vision for where the country is going and how they use different media to be uh, to be that uh, communicator in chief. Now, you mentioned you're already working on your next project. Now, is that another collaboration with Robert Lichter? Or is this a solo effort? No, I'm working. I'm working with uh, with another journalist, actually. Oh. Um, and so we're trying to put together a uh, a project that would be very useful for journalism students um, and perhaps practicing journalists. Um, in recent, a, a few years ago, I was involved in a number of media development projects where I went and talked with reporters in Ukraine and Azerbaijan and Armenia and a variety of other countries, trying to talk about sort of how journalism can be can be built up after the Cold War. This was when these countries were newly independent uh, from the Soviet Union. And so these were times to think about how they could develop some of the strengths of a vibrant civil society by a journalism that calls politicians to account. And, you know, I, I am pleased to say that if, you know, that some of these countries have really made a great progress from the the propaganda model of the Soviet era to much more vibrant functioning democracies today in some of these places. When can we expect the, the release of your next book project? 
Oh, I don't know. I'm still struggling with trying to just keep up with it. There's so much that's being written about this and so many angles to consider. Uh, disinformation is an area that's really, really tough to get your, your hands around. I think probably another year. Okay. Uh, if we're lucky, we'll have it done by then because um, I, uh, I do, I, you know, we've gotten a significant part of it written, but there, it's such a fast-moving area that once we have it written, we may have to go back and do other parts of it over again. Oh, I know, I know. Uh, but Stephen, uh, please let me know when it comes out. I would be honored to have you on my show again. Well, that's very kind. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Stephen Farnsworth, his latest release, Late Night with Trump, Political Humor in the American Presidency. It's available online and Amazon. Steve, I want to thank you so much for appearing on my show, and I wish you the best of luck. Please be safe, and I can't wait to have you on my show again, okay? Thanks to you. Thanks for the conversation. Have a great evening. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Stay tuned for our next show. Thank you, and good night.